Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Sixto Polo Fontanes. Polo, thank you for being here with me tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you. It's great to have you. I just wanted to congratulate you on having a new book. It's out in stores now. It's called The Son of Man, Part One. This sounds like a really exciting novel. So can you tell me what it's all about? Well, it's not to give any spoiler alerts to give it away. It's basically a science fiction mixed with religion, mixed with love, mixed with everything you could think of. But it's basically the cloning of somebody very important. And the evils that be want to take over that empty vessel to lead humanity into destruction. And a human being is chosen this time to represent us and lead us in the right path. Hmm. How did you get the idea for this? Well, it was through a dream. I had a lo- very long sequential dream that lasted a very long time. And every time I, I went to sleep or even walked around a very secluded track that I used to walk around in, in, my, in, in the situation I was in, I kept coming back to the, the next part. Like, it was like a, a long, drawn-out dream that became a, a movie first. And I offered it to uh, IMBD and a, and a couple other networks. And they wanted it, but they were they told me to write the book first. Hmm. It would be more. So from the script of the movie... I pulled out the book. Hmm. Polo, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? Well, I've done a little focus group with um, young people and of all and people of all ages, and everybody that I spoke to has of all ages have really walked. They can't put it down, hmm. and they come off excited for part two. Hmm. So I think a lot, many ages would be would be attracted to it of all ages. The controversy itself attracts. You mentioned part two. Is this going to be a longer series, or do you plan on wrapping it up with part two? Oh, part two would be the continuation of this one, but then this would be a prequel book hmm. of the story of the Chosen One and how that came about. So it's going to be about a four or five part series, but prequels, almost like movie type deal. Hmm. I think the part two is going to is where all the excitement is as it is in part one. Hmm. Polo, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever written or published before this? No, actually, this was all, I was an eighth grade dropout. Now I I am, I have some degrees under my belt and all that. I've done it within the last 10 years, but Hmm. I've never written or even attempted to write. It was something that just came over me to do this. Congratulations. How long did this take you to do? Actually, it took me about, the hardest part was writing the book, but the book was in my head. I wrote it in in scribble form, if if you understand what that means, in (laughs) about six months. Then it took me about a year to write the actual book in two parts. Hmm. And when you get the first copy in your hands after all that hard work, uh, what's that moment like for you? It was very exciting, especially the fact that all the artwork inside and on the cover was done by my 14-year-old daughter who read the book and was able, she's a very good artist. Her name is Isabel Fontanez, and she was able to picture the characters and draw them enough so we can put them on the cover and in the insert in the book that speaks about a sequence in it that's very exciting. Hmm. And she put the comic strip together. And that was very, I was a proud father then. And she's very proud of her work in my book. And both of them, actually. That's fantastic. 
Now, a lot of our listeners are authors who are just starting out. Uh, what advice would you give them? Hey, if you if, if you feel if you read it and you feel that that it touches you and 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 you get the message that because we all have a message hmm. in the end, we, it's all about the message. And if you feel the message, if you got it, everybody else certainly will. So don't give up and move forward, no matter what. It's hard, but we get it done. Writing can be hard. Sometimes you hit writer's block. So, Polo, what do you do when the words just aren't coming to you? Put it down. Close your eyes and remember what the dream. What well, with me. Well, I remember what the dream was about, and it all comes back. So the dream is the dream is part of my life as well. So a lot of it is personal in there as well. A lot of stuff in there has to do with me. So it's it was a little bit easier for me, I could say. I should say it was hard, but easier for me not to forget get writer's block because it was a lived and dreamed event. If you understand. Mm. Uh, looking back over it all, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect now of being a published author? I'm still gathering. Everything's exciting, mm -hmm. but I just can't wait to hear. I like feedback, and I guess when I get the feedback, and I and and that's what excites me. Oh, that you know, positive or negative, it excites me because I know somebody took the chance, took the time to read my writing. Mm. The book is titled "The Son of Man, Part One." It's written by Sixto Polo Fontanez, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can buy this everywhere that you shop for books like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Polo, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a wonderful time chatting. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. There's a new really special children's book that just hit stores. It's called A Dragon for Your Birthday, A Grandmother's Wish for Her Granddaughter with Autism. It's written by Deborah Albers, and I'm really happy that Deborah is sitting down here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to see A Dragon for Your Birthday out there for readers now. So can you tell me what readers can expect? Yeah. So my granddaughter has autism, and so when she was born, I had written a song for her, and I used it as a lullaby to sing her to sleep. And it's a story about a little girl who grows up, and, you know, she has the grandmother wants adventures for her to travel or to have a family or to go to school, whatever the things are that she wants. And so that's basically what the song is, is the grandmother singing to her granddaughter and telling stories about what her life might be like when she grows up. Hmm. Deborah, can you tell me about that time when you got the spark, the inspiration to sit down and write a dragon for your birthday? Well, I've actually written one for each of my grandkids. They each have their own song, and I was singing it to somebody, and they said, you know, that would make a great children's book. And I hadn't really thought about it until that time. So I decided to write it down and send it into a few places, and I was really excited about the response that I got. Not only because it was a children's book and I've always wanted to do that, but also because there's really more focus on children with special needs and mm -hmm. having the idea that no matter who you are and who your children are, you really want the best for them. You want them to be happy and experience great things in life. So it was really kind of a collision of those two things. Oh, about how long did it take you to work on A Dragon for Your Birthday when it came to writing it, publishing it, doing the illustrations, all that? It took about a year, a little less than a year. But the writing part was already done. And so what was really interesting to me was the whole process about submitting the work and having them look through and tell me, you know, what their feedback was on changing any words here or there. And then I got an opportunity to get a storyboard and see the illustrations that they had suggested. And it was really fun to put the colors in and look more at, you know, what the story tells if you didn't have words. Because, you know, a lot of the little kids that will read a story, they don't actually read the words. They just look at the pictures. Mm. So it took about a year from beginning to end. 
And after that year of work, what was it like that moment that you got that first physical copy, got to hold it in your hands? It was so exciting. I called my daughter and we went and got on video and I showed Tegan the picture of her. She looks just like her. <laughs> it was just really exciting. And it's so nice to see it come to life. I think there's going to be a lot of other people out there that can relate to that where mm. they just want to wish the best for their grandkids. Looking ahead, do you have plans for more books? I do. I have three grandkids right now and each of them has a song and I have one grand pup. So my youngest daughter has no children, but she has a dog. And mm. so I'm working with the same publisher and I'm coming out with another book in about four months called Range of the Rescue Dog. And I have the other books coming after that. Fantastic. Now, looking back over everything, all the books you've written up until now, what would you say is the most rewarding part of things for you now being a published author? You know, I have a couple things that are really rewarding. I mean, this was on a bucket list of mine. I've always wanted to be an author and write a book. So just purely checking that off the list was really felt like an accomplishment to me. But there's more to it than that, because I feel like I've had the opportunity to share an experience that other people will have and will relate to in the book. And it's just inspired me to think of more and more things that I could write about. I probably have 10 ideas, and I think I will just continue to do this and take the opportunity to share things with people that may be able to relate to what I'm feeling. Hmm. What advice could you offer now to authors who are just starting out and want to publish a book as well? You know, it's really much easier than I thought. I was really concerned this was going to be a hard process. I didn't know all of the terms and I didn't know how things fit together. And they were so helpful. Christian Faith Publishing was wonderful to me and they were very responsive. And I would say, try it. You know, if you have an idea, they will walk you through the whole process. They're really professional and friendly and they fit into your schedule. So if you have more time, they can do it a little faster. And if you have less time, it takes a little bit longer. But I wouldn't really encourage people to try it out. It was a lot of fun and it's just very rewarding. Hmm. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called A Dragon for Your Birthday, A Grandmother's Wish for Her Granddaughter with Autism. It's written by Deborah Albers and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can buy this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Deborah, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had a great time learning about a dragon for your birthday. I wish I would have gotten a dragon for my birthday at one point. <laughs> but it was a really great talking tonight. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. Early Identification. This is an action-packed thriller, and it's out right now. It's written by Larry Pope. And I'm really happy that Larry is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Larry, thank you for being here. It's good to be here. It's good to be heard, and I'm looking forward to what we're doing here today. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Can you tell me all about early identification? What can readers expect with it? Well, on the cover, there's a student who's in a tug-of-war between separation of church and state and In God We Trust. That student would be every student in every public school. We print In God We Trust on the money, and then we try as hard as we can to keep from teaching that in the schools, especially in the science classes where we could show the existence of God. The main conflict of the book is this war of worldviews where we have secular ideas competing with religious ideas. One of the main characters of the book works for the FBI. His name's Sam Good. He's being harassed and tormented and attacked, and he finally figures out that he's being attacked by his fellow FBI agents. Hmm. And so he resigns and moves away, comes back undercover to try to figure out why he's being attacked. And he uncovers a scandal where some government agencies are using schools to try to identify future criminals 
and then they're aborting them from society. So that's kind of the outline of the book without giving away too much. Just this conflict that we live in between secular and religious beliefs. Hmm. Larry, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into early identification? Uh, I think anybody who's interested in a good crime story would like the story that I've written. There's a heavy dose, of course, of the creation-evolution debate. You know, it's a book that you can learn some things from. It's an interesting story that's intertwined with some gospel messages and some science, of course. I've been teaching science for 26 years, so I have some background there. Hmm. And there's a lot about law enforcement in there and the struggle that law enforcement has to try to maintain and control violence using the secular perspectives to try to do that. Yeah, you're tackling a lot of big issues here. How, how did you get the idea for this? Well, it started with a dream. I, one night, I was dreaming. It was a dream that I was at the movie theater watching this movie. So the scene that I saw was when the FBI agent was attacked, and he saw the tattoo on one of his attackers. And then next scene, he's on his way to the hospital talking to his wife about it. And then, you know, I wake up, and I can't believe that I'm not at the movie theater. It just seems so real. And so, of course, I try to go back to sleep and finish watching the movie, and I'm mad that I'm not going to get to see the end of it. And so I just started writing down every detail that I could remember. And then many years of just watching just our society, the disintegration of morals and being a teacher in the school and just watching this happen. I just felt like that I just had something to say that in a book's a, w a good outlet, a good way to write that stuff and, you know, hopefully reach some other people with a message. Mm -hmm. All in all, how long would you say the whole thing took you? It took me 20 plus years. I'm a teacher and a father and a coach and lots of other hats I wear. It just started out by writing down the dream that I had and then from there adding details to it as I watched things unfold. Listening to my pastor talk at church about different things and so I just felt like that I needed to finish the book and get all of this stuff intertwined into an entertaining story and you know, hopefully it's a book that people can learn from. Hmm. Is this your first time then in the arena of book publishing? It is. Yeah, this is this is my first book, so it's kind of exciting. It's a learning experience. Yeah, what's it like for you when you get to hold that first one in your hands? I mean, it's rewarding. It's, it shows up, you know, and there it is. It's got your name on it and, uh, you know, the cover that I made. It's definitely rewarding to get a hold of it. The big achievement would be to disperse it, you know, or go therefore and make disciples. And if the book can cause somebody to want to study something further or change their perspectives or entertain them enough that they would want to go give a review of the book or, you know, maybe make them laugh or cry. So when the book coming to life, that's really the ultimate goal. More than just words on a paper, it's learning for people and possibly life change. Hmm. Readers looking for a thriller should definitely check this book out. It's called Early Identification. It's written by Larry Pope, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can pick this up everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Larry, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had a really nice time talking with you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Love at First Death. It's the new book out in stores now. It's written by Anna M. Liebrand, and she's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Anna, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Congratulations for having Love at First Death published now. So can you tell me what it's all about? 
I sure can. Actually, this is a combination romance suspense novel. The reason I combined the two was because so many people read romance novels, so many people read just mystery. So I figured, you know, let's, I wanted to combine them and make it so people can't put the book down. Oh, I want to see what happens next. You know, it's a romance, you know, people are falling in love, but there's also a murder going on at the same time. So it basically focuses on a young woman. She was raised by her millionaire father in New York City. Her mother died when she was really little, an only child. And at first, her father doesn't tell her that her mother was murdered. She was actually, because he had actually told her, your mother had an accident. But she later finds out she was murdered when she was all grown up. When Sarah, the young woman, grows up, she loses her father, who she thinks has a heart attack at first. But He also gets murdered and there is a connection between the two deaths. So they all encourage Sarah to take some time off and go on vacation. And she goes on vacation to Las Vegas. There she meets a young, handsome guy who's actually a stagehand for one of the shows that are performed in Vegas and they fall instantly in love. But she doesn't realize that the murderer is after her and he followed her to Vegas. So what happens is... Colin, the guy that ends up falling in love with her, he gets involved with Sarah. But then when she finds out that her life is at risk, she tells Colin, please don't get involved with me because I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't want you to risk your life for me. But he lo- he's starting to really love her and he doesn't really care. He just wants to be with her and he'll do anything he can to protect her. It's very interesting. And, it, and like with all murder mysteries, there are twists. As in, in you and everything, when everything is revealed, it all makes sense as to why the murders happened. Mm. I leave the readers like, wow. Like, for example, I had my husband's cousin read it and she she finished the book in two days and she said, I was not expecting that ending. <laughs> and I said, wow. oh, my God. And I said, that's that's exactly what I want people to think when they read this. Mm. So. <laughs> I love the combination of romance and suspense that you're working with here. So can you tell me about what sparked the inspiration for this story? I sure can. In order for me to do that, I have to go back in time. I actually started writing this book back in high school. Hmm. And having grown up on Long Island and living close to the city, one of my passions growing up, and it still is to this day, well, with even with everything going on right now, is going to see Broadway shows hmm. and meeting a lot of the performers. And over the years, I got to know, I got to meet the same people multiple times. And there were two particular people that were my favorites who were at one time married and they're no longer together, but they're still close. But I still stay in touch with them. And I actually asked them if they could be the inspiration for the two people, Colin and Sarah, because Mm. they were very happy when they were married. It just didn't work out for whatever reason. And I told them I was writing a book and I said, can I have you guys be the inspiration for these two people? And they said, absolutely. And we want to read it when it's out. (laughs) So, um, That was basically how that started. But like I said, when I wrote it in high school, it was all basically just as with, I guess, with any author, when they first start starting out, it it was all brainstorming and just random notes. And then it took me a number of years to finish it with, you know, with with high school. And then I got married not long after high school. And then back in 2008, I lost my dad. So I didn't complete it as quickly as I had wanted to. So back in 2010, I would say it, it was finished. And that was basically the inspiration for the two characters. And also, and I do like to read myself. I like reading a lot of those kind of books where there's romance and mystery. And I know, for example, like Nora Roberts is an author like that. Sometimes she combines the two genres and I just absolutely love her books. You know, I get a lot of inspiration from that as well. 
Fans of romance, suspense, mystery, Nora Roberts' books will love this book. It's called Love at First Death. It's written by Anna M. Liebrand, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can get this everywhere that you pick up your books, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Anna, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had such a nice time talking with you. Thank you. American Psyche. It's the name of the new book. It's out in stores right now, written by Kyle Wolf, and Kyle is right here with me now to talk about it. Kyle, thank you for being here with me tonight. Hey, no problem. Congratulations for having American Psyche out in stores now. So can you tell me what it's all about? American Psyche is just my opinions on psychology. You know, I wrote it up while I was graduating from other community college and doing work in human services and doing work in advocacy and other things like that. And basically, it's just how I kind of see the world. And it's based on a power dynamic that a lot of people are kind of familiar with with feminism. But it's especially relevant in prison culture. Like if you've ever been in prison or involved in that kind of counterculture, the kind of dominance that goes along with that type of kind of social interaction on a personal level, or just kind of that type of empowerment that goes along with like working in mental health or kind of with feminist theory. And it just speaks to kind of healthy relationships. And if there's not mutual respect and the relationship will be unhealthy, be it your girlfriend or be it your client or anything else. Interesting. Uh, what sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? I mean, it's a great thing for people in, in my professional industry. So the second piece that I'm finishing up now is goes into different theories on how I utilize my opinions on psychology in order to kind of work with clients and kind of establishing balances of power relationships and stuff like that. And um, I'm a Shotokan karate black belt, too, so I view the English language much like sparring. But it's useful in the field, and it's only 33 pages. So for a busy criminal justice reform professional, I sat down and I read it in a half an hour. I was like, you know, this is great. I want to read it again because it's so, it's so well written, so interesting. And then I read it two or three more times and I kind of, kind of grasped the concepts a little firmer, even though they're pretty well developed. But what I don't like to do is I don't like to tell people how to think. So it leaves mm. it open. You know, there's not those one sentence conclusions that tell people how they should think. Hmm. And now that American Psyche is out there, it is published. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect now of knowing that, knowing that you're a published author and your ideas are out there for the world? That I don't have to edit it anymore. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> I believe that's a, that's a tough process. So what was the most challenging part of the whole editing thing for you? The most challenging? I don't know. I did special forces training for a while because I volunteered to serve in the military and I'm still willing to do that. I set world records in muzzle or long distance shooting. I'm a firearm safety advocate too. The most challenging part was probably reading or teaching myself new skills sleep deprived. It's just a pain in the butt. You know, if I edit yeah. something, it's it's not something that I you know want to take a lot of time time doing. It's a pain in the butt. So, Kyle, who inspires you when it comes to what you write and what you read, what you create? My dad inspires me. The District of Vermont, some of our judges and prosecutors inspire me. In terms of what I write and stuff, it's really just what I do for a living. You know, like I said, statistically, my relapse rate in substance use was something like 8.5% over a year and a half. And I worked in that field for close to five years, and I'm a peer in that field. And mental health, I did crisis work with some very severe cases, and I only had to utilize crisis service once out of 50 times in something like a year or so. I'm normally really good at what I do, man. I won like a bunch of state hockey titles growing up. I was a chess champion. I was a valedictorian school. And if I put effort in something, I'm normally the best at it in Vermont around these parts. I put effort into that field, and I was able to get really good statistics. And that's what being a black belt is about, is like taking the time to teach it. And that's my religion as well. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Zen Buddhist, and Zen Buddhists, enlightenment is unlimitedness knowledge. And what we have to do when we tap into the cosmos or big mind or Buddha nature is we're supposed to teach. So that's kind of what life's about for me, man, is teaching. And if I can make money at it, I'm all about it. So when you set records, you often get a medal, you get a trophy, or when you reach a certain point in martial arts, you get a certain belt. And it's almost like whenever you reach the goal of publishing a book, 
you get that physical copy in your hands and you get to hold it. What, what was that like for you? Well, just like the deal that I had to set up, it's a first edition. So there's a couple of changes that I want to go about it. But I really like doing personalized notes and, and signing my, I would probably sign my athlete name. I don't know if I'd sign my legal signature with the court documents and stuff that I submit. But that's cool. I was really proud of it, man. I think it came together really, really nice. And I think it's really a cool piece to read and fun to read. So I was, I was really proud of it when I saw, you know, it was like giving birth almost. Although I better shut up before I get like nabbed with some cabbage or something. But no, it, it was it was a good experience. I mean, but we'll see how it sells, you know, and then it's talking to them about, you know, because it's just a shorter piece about kind of the price for my second, third pieces. And my second piece is clinical applications. It's theories based on the opinions on psychology in the first. And the third piece is like a clinical flow chart, like actual programming and actual step-by-step instructions and stuff for harm reduction case management in the fields that I kind of work in and some kind of unheard stuff, man, because I'm the grandson of an engineer. I'm the son of an engineer. And what we do is kind of think about how to make stuff better. And, and, and I'm the grandson of a nurse. So kind of a lot of healthcare and then a lot of engineering on my father's side when it comes to creative ideas and caring about people. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called American Psyche. It's written by Kyle Wolf and it's published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Kyle, thanks again for joining me on the show. I had a great time meeting you, learning about American Psyche. So thanks again. hope we can do this soon. Life's too short. Hopefully I made you laugh. Donovan's Run. It's a fantastic, thrilling, and mysterious trip through time and space. It's the new novel. It's out in stores right now. It's written by William S. Frankel, M.D., and I'm really happy that William's right here with me now to talk about it. William, thank you so much for being here tonight. My pleasure. Donovan's Run sounds really exciting. Can you tell me about it? Well, it's a story of two individuals, a very important individual who is a scientist and his very close friend who is a very important individual in the the area of theology. He's a minister. Mm. It's basically they were very interested in the possibility of finding special individuals in outer space and possibly uh, also in far out space find God. Mm. So can you think back to how you got the idea for this story? Yes, the uh, idea came because of all of the interesting ideas concerning going far out into space. And we're seeing the initial kinds of space interests for uh, at least the past 20 or 30 years. And because of that, I thought that this might be an interesting book to attempt to think what would happen 500,000 years from now hmm. in terms of our early searches in uh, space. When it comes to writing and publishing books, have you ever done anything like this before? Yes, this is my sixth book. Hmm. It's been mostly set in here in this world, but Donovan's Run is set initially here in this world, but far beyond it in the book. Now, when you look back over it all, over all the books you've written and published, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect for you of being a published author now? It's an interesting feeling of expressing some of my thoughts out to the public. 
And what sorts of readers do you think would really be into Donovan's Run? I think young individuals who are so very interested in going out into space. I might say that with things that are being developed now, I think not only young people, but a lot of older folks are going to be interested in the possibilities of finding out some amazing things in outer space. Donovan's Run sounds like it may have taken you quite a while to write and put through the publishing process. Was that the case? I've been working on it for five years. And what's that feeling like whenever you get that first physical copy in your hands, you get to hold that for the first time? It's very, um, I think it's very wonderful. It's a realization of so much work, and there it is. Hmm. You know, William, a lot of our listeners right now are authors just starting out. They don't have a book out. They're looking to get themselves out there. Do you have any words of advice that you could offer them? Yes, write what they are interested in and do not be concerned about what is being written is not picked up because of your beginning. Keep writing, keep writing and make certain that you do this until people begin to pick it up. Readers looking for a fantastic, thrilling, mysterious trip through time and space, like I said, should check out Donovan's Run. It's written by William S. Frankel, M.D., and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can pick this up everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. William, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a great time learning about Donovan's Run and a really nice time talking with you. It was my pleasure to be talking to you as well, and I hope that you will enjoy reading Donovan's Run as well. A Hope Made Certain. It's the new novel out by Miranda Lee Mitchell, and I'm really happy that she's right here with me now talking about it. Miranda, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here today. Congratulations on getting A Hope Made Certain in stores. Can you tell me all about it? Yes. My novel is about a woman who has been wounded by rejection and divorce, and so she relocates to the Atlantic coast to a more simpler life than what she, what the life that she had in the big city of Charlotte, North Carolina. And in this quiet place, God works on her wounded heart, and he shows her love, and he also helps her day by day to heal, and she is strengthened in her spirit, and she is strengthened to be able to trust and love again. Mm-hmm. Miranda, where did you get the idea or the inspiration for this story? Well, one day I was sitting at my desk and I was journaling. I started journaling at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And then I heard Father God in my spirit Hmm. to speak to me about taking these journals and turning them into stories for others to read with the purpose of the readers gaining encouragement in their life through the trials that they have experienced themselves. Hmm. And what kinds of readers were you thinking of whenever you put this out? Well, the audience I was thinking of was targeted towards basically women who have been rejected and hurt by divorce. However, I have found that my men friends who have read my novel 
they really enjoyed it as well. I think it's important for the men to read this novel so that they can understand more of the heart of a woman. And then several people have voiced to me that this story had captivated their attention so much that they just couldn't put it down. And I really would love for all my teenage granddaughters to read my novel as well so that when they experience rejection, that they can know that God will always be right there to love them and to heal their wounded hearts. And the title of Hope Made Certain can assure my audience that there is hope for them for a brighter future, just like Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and the plans to give you a hope in the future. And that's one of the verses that God had constantly put in my spirit while I was healing from my own wounds. Hmm. What are the chances that we'll see a sequel in the future? Oh, absolutely. My sequel has already been written. Mm. I'm just trying to get it typed up and get it into a, a manuscript form so that I can send it to my publisher, Christian Faith Publishing. Prior to I Hope Made Certain, have you ever done anything like this when it comes to writing or publishing? Just in college, when I was attending Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, I was in a, a writing class. So those stories that I wrote for my professors, that was the only writing I had ever done besides my journaling. I mean, I've been journaling since I was like 11 years old. And was the writing and publishing process something that took a long time for you? I actually started this work back in 2009. And at the time, I really did not know how to get myself published. So when I started back to school in 2011, it just kind of got thrown into my box that I have all my journals in. And then, and it took me about two years to write it. And then about 2015, the Lord just started nudging at my heart that I needed to do something about it, that I needed to take that work that I spent so much time on and do something with it. And then one day, my spiritual mom, she told me about Christian Faith Publishing. And so I went online and looked them up, and I really, really was excited about what they were willing to do. So I got in touch with them because I already had the manuscript typed all up. And I sent them, you know, four consecutive chapters. And then they called me back within a week and was interested in, in my manuscript. And so I sent them the whole thing. The name of the book is A Hope Made Certain. It's written by Miranda Lee Mitchell and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere that you pick up your books, like at Amazon and on Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, and down the street at your local bookstore. Miranda, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had such a wonderful time talking. Well, thank you very much, Corey, and I'm so grateful to be a part of your show. Rest Area 10. It's the new, very interesting book out in stores now by Ron Freeman, and I'm talking with him right now about it. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Rest Area 10, this thing really piqued my interest. Can you tell me what it's about? Sure. Rest Area 10 is a book about ordinary people having extraordinary experiences with a maintenance worker in a rest area that only exists while they're there. It's a story that brings Christ out of the Bible, away from the church, to exemplify his dynamic and unlimited personality in correcting and connecting people's lives. It's about Christ helping people move away from their disillusionment with the life they're leading or where their life is at, at the time. It moves Christ out into the community of people. Mm with the help of the very people that have had experiences in Rest Area 10. 
What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? <laughs> and that's interesting. I don't really have a target audience because I believe that anyone or everyone can take something from Rest Area 10 and apply it to their life. You can be highly educated and very spiritual, mm. or you can have no education and not be a spiritual person. Mm. And there's still something to take away from Rest Area 10. So I think it has appeal to anyone and everyone that just simply needs some guidance and counsel into what's going on. Because as any reader will find out, it deals with a lot of complexities in life. It deals with life itself. It deals with death. It deals with loss. It deals with people helping people. So that's a long answer, but I don't have a target audience, a specific target audience. Mm -hmm. Ron, can you go back and think about what sparked this idea and what persuaded you to sit down and write this and say, I got to release this to the world? I'm 69. It's taking me about 50 some odd years to get to this point. I had a very interesting experience when I was 16. I saw Christ one night. Hmm. He opened up a locked church, and after conversation with actually Jesus Christ, I opened my eyes up. In the front of this church, I saw just an amazing light that you could not see through that did not illuminate the rest of the church. Hmm. And from the light, he said, wherever you go, I will always be there. He created the opportunities for me to go back to a college I did not want to go back to, to learn things I thought I would never use in my entire life because I am a rancher. When I went back, I took a creative writing course. Mm. And the college professor, after I wrote two essays, stopped me as I was leaving and said, I want to talk to you. I was there on academic probation. My first two essays I wrote, the first one was a D over an F and the second one was a C over a D. And he sat me down and he looked at me and in a very elevated voice said, you are not college material. You just shouldn't be here at all. Wow. And then his total demeanor, his, his expression on his face changed. And he handed me two grammar books and he said, if you take these and you work really hard with my help, someday you are going to become a writer. Do not get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't stop writing. It doesn't matter what you're writing. Don't stop writing. So I took his advice and I, I've written since that. I wrote three manuscripts within five or six years after college. Wow. But I wanted to write something more. I wanted to bring my experiences to life. Rest Area 10 is what I call spiritual fiction, but the experiences that my characters have, the dialogue, the scenes are close to what I have had my entire life. It has been a phenomenal life. Wow. But I came in the house one day and I said, okay, Lord, what are we going to do now? Very clearly, he said, Rest Area 10. And I said, okay, what's Rest Area 10 about? For the next two and a half hours, Corey, I sat down with legal pads and wrote a summation of Rest Area 10. Wow. Rest Area 10 has developed into a series of books of which there are, there will be 10. If I stop the series, I'm not sure I will because <laughs> it's very complex. It pulls a lot of people's lives together and they move out in the community. It's very complex. So everything kind of emanated from what I tell people being humiliated by an outstanding professor. Wow. It's called Rest Area 10. It's written by Ron Freeman, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you go shopping for books, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Ron, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a great time chatting. Thank you. Thank you a lot. I'm really happy to be sitting down right now with author Regina Tyson. Regina, thank you for joining me on the show tonight. Absolutely my pleasure. Just wanted to congratulate you on getting a new book out there in stores right now. It's called 
while you're waiting. Can you tell me what this is about? Actually, I was inspired through waiting for a very long time for a certain thing that I think we'll probably talk about here in just a little bit. But this book is really a journey and a journey of understanding that when you're waiting, you're not supposed to be stagnant. You're not supposed to just feel trapped. Waiting is a very active process where we have the opportunity to reach out to those that are close to us, that we trust, that we love, but more importantly, to reach out to the King of Kings who has every little bit of information that helps with those really big problems. And he makes those big problems seem doable. And that waiting becomes, again, like I said, just something very active. And what sorts of readers did you have in mind while you were writing this? You know, I have taught high school for 25 years and I grew up with brothers and I did not want to have a voice that would just be overly fluffy or flowery. Mm. And so I really was trying to grab a wide genre of readers in my church. We have a, a large vast of age groups. And so I think it's really important to be able to talk to different age groups at the same time, give them the opportunities to then take those situations and make them more personal. And I think that when you're writing about truth, you're writing about experiences, the more down to earth, the more real you can be with your reader, the more engaging. But that engagement then means that there can be change for the individual that's reading. And I think also it's important to have, for me, I wanted to have some short little choppy stories, uh, maybe a, a couple short chapters, and it gives people kind of like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can do this thing. Not being bogged down by, you know, a long chapter or long extensive sentences, although I'm an English teacher at heart, so I love writing those extensive long sentences, but which is kind of ironic because right now I'm really talking a long, obnoxious <laughs> sentence. But I think sometimes people love the short, sweet and sassy voice and male or female or a young high school kid or somebody that's, you know, 80. I mean, I had some 80 year olds read my book. I'm like, please let me know. Is this too down to earth? You know, doesn't challenge you. And they're like, no, no, no. It's challenging. It's good. So, yeah, those are the readers I was after. I think that's everybody. Regina, can you tell me about how you got the idea for this book and then what persuaded you to sit down and get started on it? The inspiration was my husband, and my husband was a gang member in inner city Chicago in the late 80s. We are, you know, those kind of 80s kids. He actually was diagnosed with cancer as a young boy, mm. and his mother died when he was nine. He was raised by a stepfather who was anti-faith, so he was really, truly brought up an atheist. He was homeless. He ate out of garbage cans. And when I met him in 1990-something, we had a crazy whirlwind of a relationship. And I basically told him, I said, hey, listen, if you're going to date me, you got to go to church. And I didn't realize he was an atheist at the time. I just didn't think he had a relationship with Jesus. Because you can know who God is, and you can know who Jesus is. But that doesn't mean that you have a relationship. So that was my goal. And so for 13 years, I prayed for him to find the Lord Jesus, to accept the Lord Jesus as his, as a savior. And 13 years is a long time and it's a lot of waiting. But in that waiting, I was, I was never just sitting. I wasn't pouting. I wasn't complaining. I wasn't berating him. I wasn't nagging him. I wasn't begging him. I think sometimes that's how we treat God. You know, we're like waiting on him to do something and then we're berating him and we're beating on him and we're saying, why, why? And we're getting aggressive instead of just getting our feet going and doing what he's called us to do. And that is to love people around us. And so my goal is to love my husband to the best of my ability with the power of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I did. 
So that was the inspiration of the book, waiting. I waited for the Lord God to move in my husband's heart while I loved my husband as Jesus would. And so when I finally sat down to write it, it was prior to 2012. I finally was like, you know what? I can do this thing. I've told people about our story and they say, my gosh, you should write a book. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a book. (laughs) Well, if you're looking for more joy, you're looking for more growth, you're going to want to check this book out. It's called While You're Waiting. It's written by Regina Tyson and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Regina, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had such a nice time chatting with you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it and enjoyed it very much myself. It's a race against time in the new novel by James Eklund. It's out right now. It's called Dark Voltage. I'm really happy that James is here with me now. James, thank you for joining me tonight. Yeah, my pleasure, Corey. Thank you. This novel sounds really exciting. Can you tell me what it's all about? Well, yes, it's an interesting book. It's probably a little different from most, but primarily it is a book. It's a crime fiction story that kind of travels internationally. The book basically features a technical part that gets stolen and travels to many places. Interestingly, though, every time the part changes hands and moves to a new location, there is a murder involved. Hmm. So the tension builds and a police task force is formed, headed by a kind of a semi-retired New York police detective. And he puts an unlikely team of folks together. They come from FBI, Interpol, Homeland Security. And they're on the trail to track this part down. So the interesting thing about the part is that it's not a big part. It's not really a difficult or interesting. It's an interesting part, mostly because it has the possibility of bringing the world's largest gas-fired electrical generating system in the world to its knees. Mm. So the company that manufactured it has alerted the police to this factor that this could be an an absolute disaster if the part gets into the wrong hands. Hmm. James, you got to tell me, where'd you get the idea for this? Where did all this come from? (laughs) Well, I traveled a great deal with my career, and this particular scenario, I did get involved with a program where my client was bidding on a project to build the world's largest oil-fired electrical plant. Wow! So I got very close to the project and uh, went through bid processes, and I got more and more involved in it as it went along. So I got pretty familiar with the project overall, even though my client at the end never won the bid. It went somewhere else. But because of the nature of it, I guess it was very limited folks who could possibly bid on the project. There were only about 13 companies in the world that actually had the capability of building this project. It was a pretty detailed operation. Wow. So did this take you a long time to write and then publish? (laughs) Well, it's my first book. So, yes, I struggled and I fought and I, you know, pounded the table and I did a lot of things. I knew I wanted to write the book, but I had never written before. I'd never been considered a writer. I've written corporate material, reports and project stuff and business plans and things like that, but I've never written any fiction. So it was very different for me. 
So I started and I just sat down and I started pounding on my keyboard. Oh, I loved what I was doing. I was I was so enamored with, you know, my choice of words and then the way everything was flowing. I was thought, wow, this is a lot easier than I thought. And after I got probably 5,000 words into it, I contacted a publisher just to give me some advice and counsel, which was really good advice, but it caused me to rewrite 5,000 words. So I was uh, energized, but I was on the wrong path for writing a novel. Mm. So I dug in and I started all over again. You want to know how long it took me? I took a lot of breaks during a book. I'd Mm. take a couple of weeks off or I'd take a month off or I'd take and then go back and write some more. So it probably took me a year to write to get to a finished document. And then it took another nine months to publish it. You were certainly wise to seek out guidance and wisdom from those who had more experience and had been down this road before. So, James, now, what advice could you offer to those who are just starting out? You know, I'm no expert, but I did learn a lot along the way. And I would say, number one is perseverance. Mm. You know, you just have to stay with it. Even if you feel paper bound, you really need to plow through it and adjust as you go. Certainly, I found a good deal of research was much more than I realized it was going to be. Mm. I also learned a lot about myself in this process, because once you put something down on paper, it's like a conviction. It's like, do I believe that? Do I really think that or, <laughs> or do I not? And it makes, makes me second guess myself. Mm. So that was a pretty big learning experience for me. I encourage our listeners to check this novel out. It's called Dark Voltage. It's written by James Eklund, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere you buy your books, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. James, thank you again for being on the show here with me tonight. I had a really great time talking. Yeah, I did as well. Thank you very much for this opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 